Welcome, guys, to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Sharp Angles Podcast. My name is Warren Sharp, sharpfootballanalysis.com, sharpfootballstats.com. Joined this week by Rich Rebar, our lead fantasy expert, and Dan Pazuda, our editor and analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. Super excited to have both these guys back in, in the pocket here to go over some pretty interesting things Guys, definitely want to get started right off the top, and let's just talk about the biggest news as we're recording this almost that, that happened, and that is Everson Griffin came to terms with the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones lands him to a one-year $6 million deal, which to me at least is a little bit surprising considering A, how productive he's been, and B, I mean, this guy was due to make $43 million in cash over the next three years in Minnesota, he opted out of his deal because he hit a couple of the uh, triggers to allow him to opt out. He needed to record over six sacks and play on over 57% of his snaps. He did both. He opted out of the contract. Now, obviously, there is some discussion that they may have been cutting him anyways because his cap hit was going to jump up to, I think, $13 million. But needless to say, you know, he opts out February 20th. COVID happens, he can't do anything, and he ends up landing with the Cowboys for just $6 million. Pretty great deal for Jerry Jones. I'll go ahead and start with you, Rich. Any initial take on the Cowboys landing, Everson Griffin, and what he might make in terms of a difference for this defensive line? Well, he was a definitely, you know, a, a need, you know, because I read, you know, Dan Pazuda's, uh, you know, article in the Sharp Football 2020 team preview that they're, you know, that they need another edge rusher outside of Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, you know, it comes cheap. You know, we didn't know what they were going to get, you know, out of guys like Aldon Smith, uh, you know, Bradley Ine, who they drafted this year. I'm not even sure if I pronounced that his la- his last name correctly. Um, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see if this is like a, a steal or not. I mean, because you know, Everson Griffin is going to be 33 years old this season you know and it's another guy too like you know Clayus Campbell getting traded to the Ravens which we think is like a slam dunk smash but you know he's 35 years old like you know then the NFL father time always wins so we'll see what happens and Everson Griffin was a guy who tailed off towards the end of last season uh if you guys follow Ari Hassan who's like a, a good Vikings you know follow on Twitter uh weeks one through 12 he had a tweet that uh, Everson Griffin was fifth in pressure pressures per game and then weeks 13 through the end of the season, he was 60th in pressures per game. So it's going to be interesting to see if he, you know, bounces back and is fresh. He's a guy that maybe starts the season off well or if he tails off again. But definitely a team need uh, for the Dallas defense and, uh, you know, for sure up their front seven in that pass rush. It's going to be interesting to see how they transition from, like, through a fantasy lens if they become more of, like, a pass funnel defense. Because, you know, they also added Don Terry Poe and Gerald McCoy. The front four looks really good. The linebackers are good. But there's a lot of questions probably at back end play. They've got some decent players there, but nothing nobody's scaring you. You know, Joby Woozy's a good player. Jordan Lewis is a solid player. Uh, Daryl Worley is definitely a guy that we can pick on. You know, we don't know what Trevon Diggs as a rookie is going to do, Anthony Brown. Uh, so the secondary might have some holes that we can exploit. And if the front four and front seven in totality is good, then they might be a team that we look at Dallas because their offense is good. So if they're going to score points and teams are able to throw on them, you know, that, that's going to be something that we're going to look to target. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly 
Um, this is a team that's forecast to win the NFC East, and they're forecast to win uh, at least nine games this year. So produce a winning record, do really well in the division, probably have leads in games, and, and would be able to be attacked through the air potentially. Dan, having studied the defenses around the NFL so much and having a good understanding of personnel, obviously, as you wrote for the 2020 football preview, as Rich alluded to, how big of a difference is landing Everson Griffin for the Dallas Cowboys? How much of a need does that fill? How good of a player do you think Everson Griffin still is? And then where do you think this sets the Dallas Cowboys up? Because we know how good their offense is, but this has always been a defense that, you know, has sort of struggled enough to keep this team from reaching a ceiling. You know, what do you think this might do to the future of the Cowboys this upcoming year? I mean, it's, it's definitely a move they needed when you looked at what their defensive line was. I, their biggest question was who was going to be that number two edge rusher. Uh, it could have been, you know, Tyron Crawford, who's, you know, gone from edge to the interior and bounced around a little bit. And he's okay at both. He's not someone you want to be a uh, full time on the edge. Uh, like uh, Rich said, you have uh, Bradley and a, who was there 20, 25th round pick uh, he's a guy you kind of like but also you don't want him probably starting day one so adding a, a legitimate edge rusher uh, on the other side of Demarcus Lawrence is huge and that was one of the biggest questions for this defense and you have that and you don't even need Everson Griffin to be you know the prime Everson Griffin to make an impact here but last year uh, even with the tail off he was still 11th in uh, quarterback hit. Uh, he only had eight sacks. So that was a, a 33% uh, hit to sack ratio. And the, the average uh, is about, you know, 40 to 45% for uh, edge rushers. And that's something that usually regresses to the mean one way or the other. So you could be looking at even more sacks if, um, if Everson Griffin is getting to the quarterback at, at a similar rate. Um, so that's definitely beefs up that defensive line. Like Rich said, also in the interior, they signed Gerald McCoy this offseason. They also have um, Don Terry Poe, who's going to start the season on the pup list. Um, but then you have Neville Gallimore, who they drafted. Uh, you have uh, Tristan Hill, who was the 2019 second round pick. There's some off-field and on-field concerns with him. But you suddenly have this stacked defensive line with those linebackers. It, it kind of should alleviate some of the questions now um, at the corners where you have some of those, uh, the rookies like uh, Trayvon Diggs and uh, Reggie Robinson, uh, who could be playing uh, big roles. You have the really good linebackers. So you have this really good middle of the field. I think you have some promise on the outside. So it, this Cowboys roster now kind of looks like at least a defensive unit with promise. And I think they only have to be about average for this team to be really good. And I think they're much closer to that. I think they definitely upped their potential floor and up their potential ceiling this year. Uh, and I think that's, that's a huge move for something uh, to be done on August 12th for only $6 million. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on that part. The interesting thing to me, I think in the COVID era of football, which is something we always have to start you know, mentally getting around our head and, and grade things from that context as well, having extra depth, especially along the lines, is going to be massively important. And it's certainly one thing that they did. You mentioned it. They added four guys that are very – 
good veterans. I mean, these guys aren't young pups anymore, but, you know, with Griffin and McCoy and Alden Smith and Don Terry Poe, like these are some older guys, but they have a lot of experience and they added all four of those guys in free agency. This is a team whose defensive line has really struggled with health. So 2016 and 2017, they were below average, almost bottom 10 in 2017. But then 2018, they had the sixth worst health for using Football Outsiders Adjusted Games Lost Metric. They had the sixth worst health for their defensive line unit. And then last year, 2019, the second worst health for their defensive line unit. So this is a team that has struggled to keep its defensive linemen on the field playing um, and playing at a high level. These are just games missed, not including games that guys are playing hurt because they don't have the depth. So having more depth there, plus the true two draft picks, getting Tyrone Crawford back, like I definitely think that this is going to uh, help out tremendously. Interesting element here um, before we transition into some other news is that Everson Griffin and the Dallas Cowboys travel to take on the Minnesota Vikings on November 22nd. That is a game that Dallas has a bye the week before. So Everson Griffin has plenty of time to give whatever data dump on Kirk Cousins and, and the rest of that offensive line to his coaching staff. And then they have two weeks to chew on it before they go and play the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota going to tease a little bit ahead to something we're going to discuss in the next episode of Sharp Angles, and that's home field advantage. But Minnesota, one of those teams that has a ton of home field advantage. And I, I'll go ahead and now transition into an announcement that you all should be aware of. Uh, and, and this news sort of makes one of the four recommendations I put into the first release of my 2020 NFL futures package up at Sharp Football Analysis a little bit more enticing, but we released for sale the 2020 NFL futures package up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. This has been a package that has had tremendous success historically. Uh, we, over the last two years, 23 and 12, up over 12 units of profit over the last two seasons doing this. And I feel really confident about this first wave of uh, futures that I put out there. We just released them yesterday uh well let's say wednesday uh is the day that we released them depending on when you're listening to this um and i'm really excited for you guys to go in there and check it out by the way we are giving those futures for 50 percent off half off if you just get on board for betting for the 2020 season so grab any betting package you can then get the futures for 50 percent off and this is just the start we're going to continue to release futures all the way through until the very beginning of the nfl season finding value where we see it and jumping on some of these games there's very detailed write-ups in there as well so highly suggest heading over grabbing the futures package and a betting package if you haven't done so already because we are getting started the season is on schedule. The NFL seems very confident. They're planning on hosting the Super Bowl as planned, finishing all 17 weeks of the regular season. I'm so jacked up that we are getting this thing and, and testing is going well. Cases are extremely low within the league. Uh, it's, everything's moving in the right direction. Super excited for that. Now, a league that does not have the same momentum, but uh, we've got a little bit of some groups are deciding to do one thing and others another are in the college ranks. So we've seen of the power five, most everybody else canceled the season, but of the power five, it looks like two, two guys 
bowed out with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. The other three guys appear that they're going to proceed, at least for the time being, proceed with the season. Uh, they're pretty much all going to conference-only seasons. I really don't know the latest details as to whether or not some of those schools that were in different conferences where they're canceled where they canceled are going to try to move and play games with these guys that are still playing football. I think there's still a lot left to be determined. Keep in mind guys that like the sec, for example, usually we're seeing colleges start playing games late August, but the sec already delayed the start of the season until late September. So, you know, it's not as if like, Oh my God, isn't the season starting in two weeks? No, for the sec, they're starting, you know, uh, well over a month away from now. So there's still a little bit of time to plan things out, but that time is running extremely short. Dan, what are some of the impacts and or ramifications of, you know, from an NFL perspective, a couple of uh, major programs in some of these major conferences not playing football this fall? It's, I guess, guess it's to be determined if they're playing in the spring or not. But what, what do you make of the cancellations, how that makes the job of scouts more difficult, and just any other thoughts you have on that subject? Everything just going to be super interesting, especially when it relates to the NFL season. And right now, officially, the Pac-12 and Big Ten not playing. Um, like you said, SEC, uh, Big 12, they're going to try to play whether they can actually do that or not. We don't know, but it just completely changes the entire landscape of how we in the NFL are going to be looking at college football. Uh, we're going to be seeing much less of guys who uh, – should be being scouted uh, and going into the NFL next year. So this entire just draft process, that's really usually starts, you know, about now the scouts are on the road. They're looking at these college training camps where these players are, are starting to get on the field and the scouting process starts now and the scouts don't have anyone to scout um, it throughout the season. The scouts might not have anyone to scout. So I think a lot of NFL teams are really going to have to rethink yeah, how they're looking at the draft and how they're preparing for the draft. I think the teams that are going to be really smart that have some, either they can figure out some, you know, analytics and, and figure out how to quantify production. They're going to be a little ahead of the curve. Uh, and I think we're just going to see smart teams that are going to be able to, I think, just take more shots. I think there's probably two main ways NFL teams are going to be looking at the draft if we just don't have college football this year. There are going to be some teams that are just trying to get out of the draft completely, and they won't really want to deal with 2021. But I think there's also going to be some smart teams that are going to try to get as many picks as we can, as they can. We know that's usually a good um a good philosophy to have in the draft. And I think this year it's probably going to be even better because you're going to have some of those guys who might be viewed as third round picks now, but could have had a breakout season uh, in 2020 and could have moved their way up to the first round. But now those guys aren't going to get that opportunity. They're still going to be maybe valued in the third round. So if you're just piling up these third round picks, you can take more swings on these guys. I think we're going to see probably a lot of swings and misses uh, in the draft, but I think we'll also have the potential to get some hits much later in the draft than you would have normally because these guys didn't have a chance to break out. And I think there's going to be a balance here uh, between how teams are going to be looking at that. And I think some smart teams are, are going to be aggressive and take some of those chances because I think the payoff is huge if you can get a hit uh, of a first round talent in the third, you know, fourth, fifth rounds that would have normally, you know, played their way into the first round, but just aren't going to get a chance to do that. 
Yeah, I think interestingly enough, you know, the Minnesota Vikings were a team that tried to do a little bit of that strategy in last year's draft, drafting, what was it, 12 guys, and sort of we knew that we weren't going to be able to have as much of an off season as, as normal. And it turns out, you know, rookies aren't going to be able like they didn't have any opportunities to really work their way in. Potentially the thought will be that by this time next year, you know, in, in the off season leading into the 2021 season, these guys will be able to work their way into the season. We might have hopefully a more normal off season next year. It certainly looks like uh, the way that they're running camps right now, as long as we don't have any bad news, like we could start those earlier with the same types of precautions next off season. And these rookies could actually make more of an impact next year than they could this year. And so having more picks and taking more swings and hitting on some more late round players could actually pay off more for the 2021 season um, than it is going to pay off for them in the 2020 season, just because of the, the lack of opportunities for these rookies to really get noticed during camps and preseason games. Rich, what is your take on the way that this uh, college football cancellation might impact the way that NFL teams are going to operate this off season and into next year? I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving parts, you know, with this and as, as we're going to get, you know, partial seasons from some players for as NFL draft, as it pertains to that, I mean, typically good players in the NFL were good players at a young age in college, you know, the good, good NFL players and players that get drafted early are typically early declares and they're early declares because they're productive early. So we're going to lose out on some of that. Maybe some of those guys that have productive seasons. I think you just, just look at last year, a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you know, he had eligibility, but before coming into last year, a lot of people thought he wasn't even going to be the starting running back for LSU. There was a shot that he was going to get bypassed on the depth chart. He played the year before. He played behind Nick Brosette, uh, and then just blows up in the Joe Brady offense. He gets himself. He's a first-round pick. Kind of similar thing happened to Justin Jefferson. Those guys, if, if they were in this climate this year, wouldn't have a chance to have that big season. They would still have eligibility left, but where, you know, you kind of have this outlier is a guy like Joe Burrow would be done. You know, Joe Burrow would have lost this season, you know, if this was a year ago, and he turned himself into a player that probably was going to be undrafted into the number one pick uh, in the NFL draft in a year. So it's kind of lousy that these these guys that have no eligibility left lose, like, their last opportunity, um, you know, even just from an NFL stance or a career stance uh, to, to make, uh, you know, to make a foot, uh, their career playing football. Uh, and then, you know, obviously their last year of school as well probably is in danger as well, which is also a big part of life. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see – you know, with just the partial seasons, we already had players kind of opting out, especially when you think like the, the Big Ten, they already had some of their best higher prospects already kind of opt out, you know, and Rashad Bateman, who was probably a first round pick regardless. Rondell Moore was kind of a tweener. Uh, you know, he definitely has first round you know, pedigree production wise, but you know, none of the, a lot of like big football is like, has him like the second round and third round. Eagle Collins is another guy from Michigan that is probably going to be a high draft pick. Justin Fields now probably won't play if there's going to be, if they're going to, I doubt that, I doubt that the even the the attempt that they're going to think that they can play in the spring is also probably a pipe dream that uh, these conferences but Justin Fields now was a uh, you know a kid that was set up to be you know a top five pick you know we're not going to see him play uh and then you think about a kid from Ohio State Trey Sermon who transfers a graduate transfer has like one chance to put some 
stuff on tape for the NFL, and it's not going to be able to do that either. So, I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts. I do think that there's some overreaction to how the draft's going to play out. I think it's still going to be a lot of NFL teams will have bad process like they do in the draft, and they've proven they <laughs> have bad process. Uh, and there will be teams that have good process. You know, they know how to draft the right positions early. They know where to spend their draft capital. They know what kind of draft capital to acquire. I think those things are still going to stay similar. Uh, and then, you know, teams may overweight the combine on some of these guys. I'd be curious to see if the college NCAA has a chance to put together a type of senior bowl down the line for these kids in these conferences that don't play. If the, some of those kids will still get invites, uh, if they're able to, you know, have something in Mobile later. Because if you figure like a senior bowl event, like that's, that's – there's real strong bubble possibilities to pull that off with the amount of kids that would attend that. And it's basically a glorified scrimmage at the end. But the practice week means a lot for a lot of NFL teams and the staffs that attend those um, events. You think like Terry McLaurin made a big surge there, uh, you know, a couple years ago. Um, Denzel Mims this year. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the NCAA pulls together for some of these seniors that now are going to be unable to play their final year of college football. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's, let's shift gears here. Stick with the, the offseason, but I want to focus a little bit more on process. And I'll obviously attack it from a little bit of a sports betting background, but I want to start with you, Rich, attacking it from a fantasy background. But as we know, we are not going to see 2020 NFL preseason games. And the preseason games is really a good chance to see how a coach is using a particular player, how that player seems to fit within the offense, especially when you've got new players looking to make uh, team switches, as well as new coaching staffs implementing different schemes, et cetera, et cetera, to get a better understanding of, of how successful or unsuccessful we think those guys are going to be. And then typically after two to three preseason games, you can't be too late to the party or some of the value is gone. And so in this case, Rich, we're talking a little bit more about, you know, you're drafting and where you're ranking guys and moving them up for like season long drafts. For me, we're talking more so about futures lines in terms of uh, team win totals, et cetera, odds to win their division, et cetera. But there aren't these games where we're going to be able to see that play out. And instead we're caught with this news cycle of, you know, oh, well, this guy's calves look popping, you know, look out for him this year. Or, you know, this uh, player says, this running back says he wants to catch 60 balls and, you know, his no wide receiver even caught 50 balls for his team last year. And this guy is suddenly, he's a running back. He wants to catch 60 Jacobs out in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. So, we have to really kind of figure out how we're going to make some of these adjustments and changes and how much we're going to weight certain things. And so I think it's interesting to talk through that process. And then I'm going to double back about how we need to be nimble after the first week or two of the season. And this is more for uh, your, your, your waiver wires, probably from a fantasy perspective or your weekly, you know, DFS gameplay week heading into week three, et cetera, where you have prices that are set a certain way and you're trying to come in and scrape up value. For me, it's betting on the games, you know, week three, week four of the season. How much do we want to change our opinions? How heavily do we want to weight those games that were played uh, once we see a couple games actually, you know, go from start to finish and how the guys are being used and how effective they are. So Rich, talk me through that process about 
how quick you're going to be to change some of your rankings, how impactful it is that you don't get to see weeks two, you know, weeks two and three of the preseason week one was kind of nothing anyways, but how impactful that's going to be to your process. And then what you plan to do at the start of the season, once we see a couple of games, you're going to be a little bit more aggressive with the way that you're changing things. There's a, a lot of things in play here. You know, the first is from a no preseason stance. Uh, the, the big loss for us in totality, especially even from a fantasy stance, is, you know, the, the in, initial inkling of seeing the tip-offs of what sets guys come out and how guys are used uh, is a big thing. So you just even go back to last year. I mean, the, the Redskins immediately are now the Washington football team. You know, they immediately, immediately showed us that Terry McLaurin was a big part of their plans last year. He played 18 snaps in the preseason. The, the, when they came out the first game with the ones, he played one snap. And that was it. That was basically, so you knew he was their lead wide receiver. You think like the Rams, they trade up and trade for a guy like Daryl Henderson, but the entire preseason, Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown sit out, they're put on ice. Daryl Henderson's out there getting carries, trying to get adjusted to this outside zone scheme that he didn't play in college and was struggling. We knew right away that he, those players that teams that invested into him as like a, a Todd Gurley hedge because he was coming into the offseason with the knee injury were in dire trouble, that it was going to be Malcolm Brown as the backup and that it was going to be Daryl Henderson was going to be the third or was going to have to work his way up. So there's a lot of scenarios this year. Like, it would have been nice to see, you know, who is coming out in the Packers wide receiver three sets with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, is Damian Harris, you know, getting the lead shot with the Patriots when they're running uh, with Sony Michelle out? Is he, like, get the first crack? Uh, you know, with the 49ers, with Debo Samuel out, like, what, what is their wide receiver shakeup? You know, who's playing with Garoppolo in this first in the first team sets? You know, Steelers, uh, the backup situation. Who's back, truly backing up James Conner? There's a lot of things, these breadcrumbs we lose out on. You think of uh, Washington this year with Darius Geis now being out. How does – you know, we would have had preseason games. We would have got to see how they used, you know, Antonio Gibson and Bryce Love. We would have got to see uh, th those examples. Now we don't have those. So we've got to really rely on the beats. And this is where things get kind of sketchy. Because beat reporter season is always kind of uh, something you have to tiptoe around. And I've always done this, you know, by the Roto World background and the blurbing background and kind of following this, this noise. There's a lot of noise, and we're seeing it already. Uh, and basically, it's all the Raiders' fault. You know, the Raiders are that team. It used to always be the Dolphins. <laughs> the Dolphins beat guys, beat guys used to really run rampant, where, like, every dude's going to be, like, set the world on fire this year. And it seems to be the Raiders of that team this year, where, like, every player is going gonna, is gonna to break out. But when you're following an Aguilar today. <laughs> yeah, we, I was saw Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar hype today yeah he was catching babies and already uh <laughs> you know out there uh but you know the way i always tell people to caution you know absorbing these knowledges because you can't blame like roto world or any of the news sites now because they're just taking information and running like you have to like it's it's you you it's us as consumers to to sort through the noise and what you really want to follow is it sounds simple but it gets lost a lot is actual reporting you really just want to follow things they're actually reporting, how players are being used, uh, what sets they're using, where are they in the depth chart, uh, how is this player's injury, how is he responding to injury, is he available, uh, what is this team doing in the red zone, these practices, who's in in these packages. Those are things you want to follow. Uh, but then when you hear things that are really rooted in just prognostication, uh, or just like opinion, that stuff you've got to throw out the window. Like you can't, because you remember, you got to, you have to remember that these, uh, you know, beat reporters, they're familiar with their teams, but they also aren't familiar with like a top-down lens of like distribution of targets and carries and how many of those are really available to a team uh, and, and actually to a player. When you hear a guy say, well, I think this guy's going to, he's got intention to have a thousand yards. Well, you, you have to put that in context of, all right, well, 
where is he getting these targets from? Who is he taking targets away from? You know, examples like that. Uh, so you really are looking for actual reporting first, actual, you know, of, of things that are happening on the field uh, and not opinion-based facts. So you've got to – we're relying on the beats this year more than ever uh, for this. Let me you know, ask you this. this let me, so let me <laughs> ask you this. So do you anticipate that – you will still be making as many moves with your roster, with, with your rankings, um, as you might in other years, um, because no. so so fewer so fewer moves potentially. Now, the one thing that it does tell me is because you've got a keen eye towards evaluating some of the what to look for, what to care less about, what to care more about. Um, we, not since everybody can't watch week three's preseason game for the Raiders right so nobody gets that advantage but you know which news tidbits are more important than others and you're going to be adjusting your rankings I would think that this can give more of an advantage to the people who are smart and understand what to listen for in the news media because it's harder to get this information it's trickier that you can't just turn on the tv at seven o'clock and watch a preseason game you actually have to do a lot of digging do a lot of research weed through what matters what doesn't i would think that maybe the 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 smarter analysts out there are going to be even further above board this season than we would regular season do you does that make any sense yeah, I mean, there's always a, you know, an edge when you're on something like, you know, take example, like I said, the Terry McLaurin thing or people that were dra- drafting Malcolm Brown, it didn't work out. But a lot of people were avoiding Daryl Harrison, taking Malcolm Brown as the backup. It turned out that Gurley just, you know, kind of stayed healthy all year or healthy enough. Um, but yeah, anyone that has an edge, you, the more information that becomes public knowledge, you know, hurt, hurts us, you know, it's because we, you know, you have a little bit of that edge and then as things get found out, everyone else catches on. Uh, so, I mean, we still have to sort through some of this stuff. I mean, you think like the Raiders example and, you know, the, the fluff piece has been coming out on Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, catching the ball more and everyone's saying the right things, but we would have, like said, that third preseason game, we would have known immediately the first third down the Raiders had is Josh Jacobs in the game. Yeah. We would have been, so we would have known right away if it's third and seven and Jalen Richard's in the game, we would have been like, all right, yeah, all that was all that was a lot of talk. Uh, right. So I mean, we would have been tipped right off right away. So now we've got to kind of have a like you know, kind of in the back of our minds. I think a guy like Joe Mixon is in a similar spot. Uh, you know, who's a lot of people are looking to break out, and they've been saying the right things about him and his contract year. But also when he had his extremely hot stretch towards the end of the season, Gio Bernard ran more pass routes than him. So I mean, we we we've always talked about it, you know a guy like Joe Mixon catching the ball more, but you know we need to see them actually use him in that capacity. So we lose out on that. I mean, those are all things within the range of outcomes i think as it pertains to some of these rookies though that people have been waiting to slow play on that could help us i think like a guy like jalen ragor who has a a world of opportunity in front of him especially with alshon jeffrey looking like he's not going to be able to start the season um like i I brought damian harris he's a guy like you know on taking damian harris in leagues looking to looking to draft him if sony's not going to play that even even adding lamar miller uh you know just add some more ambiguity to the situation now that no one's going to get clarity on uh, but, you know, the typically ambiguous, especially backfields, are where you want to attack in fantasy to, to, to really generate some supreme value because everyone's scared of them. They're just scared of being able to pick the wrong player. But when you're talking about taking those players at draft capital where everyone has high bust rates anyways, you're really just playing for profit uh, to begin with. So, I mean, uh, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we still have a little advantage, aces up our sleeves, but there's still a lot we're missing out on. We're going to have to really pick through on August 17th next week when these padded practices uh, – 
really turn into real practices. You know, when we're looking for reports, like I said, that is actual reporting, who's being used in what sets. We want to know, is Chris Godwin, uh, you know, are the Tampa Bay looking like they're going to be more of a 12-base team? Is Chris Godwin lining up more outside? Those are the things you want to look for. Not that, hey, I think this guy's going to break out, or in my opinion, this guy's looking good. We want the actual reporting and focusing on that. That's where you're going to get your nuggets this year. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fascinating. Um, obviously, you guys can see Rich is on top of the game, and if you guys want his 2020 rankings right now, you can get them up at Sharp Football Analysis, part of the Fantasy Football Package. He's literally updating these suckers every single day on a daily basis. Not if a guy's calves are popping or he's got veiny forearms today, uh, but based on real information and making those adjustments. Um, and that's also part of the all access package. If you want to get my betting and riches fantasy, Dan, I'll throw it to you just for some general football talk before we dive a little bit into your great article. that's up at sharp football talking about year two quarterbacks, but did you have anything else to add just on some of the things that you're going to be paying attention to? I know you don't do fantasy football rankings and you're not using it, this stuff to try to get edges in the betting market, but what are some of the things that you might be interested in, looking for uh, out of reports from the preseason uh, that maybe Rich didn't mention that you have uh, something else to throw in there? I think Rich really hit most of what you want to be looking for, especially in such a, a weird time when uh, some of these teams are going to be scrimmaging each other. I know the, the Giants just said they're going to be doing that uh, quite a bit. They're going to have like just uh, intra-squad scrimmages like all the time. So they can have offense and defense. Um, so yeah, when you get, you're able to get some, some personnel usage, uh, who is on the field when and things like that. I think that's probably what we're going to be able to see. And then for us, I think we, you know, without that information and being able to see it uh, without a lot of, even without a lot of reporters on the sidelines, because we're we're limited in, you know, who can even uh, be there and be reporting on some of this stuff. Um, So I, we're going, I think we're all going to be surprised in week one. So I think kind of like you said, in those first couple of weeks, uh, I think we're going to have to be uh, very adaptable to what we're seeing, because I think our priors are going to be just uh, changing uh, consistently. I know after week one, usually, um, I, I know uh, Aaron Schatz, I think a long time ago, uh, said uh, the Monday after week one starts the national jump to conclusions week. Uh, and I think that's going to be happening uh, quite a bit uh, the first couple of weeks of the season as, as we really get get a hold of what this season is going to look like. And, and we might not know until like midway through and then it could all completely change. So I think this is just a season that we're just going to be uh, completely on our toes and we're going to have to be just consistently evolving what we think because there, there might not be a, a consistent uh, in this season. So I think we just have to be uh, completely adaptable and, and just uh, keep our eyes out on for what we think is going to happen and, and hope that's going to be the case. Yeah. And this is, this is all about the love for the game. I mean, we, we are, we are married to the game and I think studying it as closely as we do uh, allows us to be able to make proper determinations how much to make adjustments after small sets of data are being presented to us. Uh, because it's not just the data is a small sample size, like after one, week one or week two, yeah, you're, you're two weeks out of 16 for this particular team, right? So you're one-eighth of the way down and seven-eighths of the way left. But you have to make certain adjustments. How aggressive are you going to make those adjustments? In my opinion, you have to be 
somewhat aggressive, but you also have to take into consideration the context in which these statistics are earned. Some people are going to just start throwing out numbers like, oh, we didn't see this guy preseason. This is what he did week one. Yeah, but did his team have the lead? Uh, what, what situation was ongoing? What was the defense that he was playing? Like the different calibers of that types of decision-making that the coaches are, uh, are, are implementing into the process. Some of their game plans, right? They're playing a really tough run defense. So they choose to pass the ball more. Doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they want to do all 17 weeks of the season. So I think it's going to be very important to pay close attention to the context in which the statistics are earned weeks one and two of the season, make, some good adjustments as necessary. But this is why all the work in the months prior leading up to this has been so valuable. Without preseason games, a lot of guys get into the game right around preseason, start studying up on things. Well, we've been putting in that work for months and uh, have really strong feels about these teams and these players already. And so I think we're going to be able to really tweak things as opposed to make wholesale adjustments. Speaking of adjustments, there's always an adjustment from year one to year two with quarterbacks. That rookie season, very difficult. And we've seen across the board historically, I started talking about this several years ago, how QBs tend to make this big jump in year two. They don't call it a sophomore slump in the NFL. It's definitely a sophomore jump. Dan wrote a very compelling article up on Sharp Football Analysis talking about the what are the keys to year two leaps for the quarterback class of 2019. And you guys could check out that article. I highly encourage you to read for all the different guys that he's mentioned in there. But let's hit two of the guys, the top two guys that were drafted in that class. And that's Kyler Murray first, and then we'll hit Daniel Jones momentarily. But Dan, talk to me a little bit about the key to Kyler having a really productive year two with Cliff Cliff Kingsbury and uh, and and what you think we're going to get out of him this season? Kyler is such an interesting case because I think people are just already under the assumption that the year two leap is is going to happen. Um, his his rookie year was was good. It, it wasn't great. Um, this is coming from someone who I think I've expressed this on the podcast uh, a couple of times. I know I've said it on uh, pre-snap motion. Uh, I am a very big fan of Kyler Murray, but I think there's just, there's some more we need to see. And I think that kind of comes from the offense and what they were doing. If, if you go back and watch the Cardinals uh, a lot, there was so many uh, short passes, a lot of screens. The Cardinals used more screens than any team uh, in the league. They led the league with 97 screens. Uh, the next highest team only used 70. Um, so there was just so much going behind the line of scrimmage. There was a lot of short passes. And, you know, Kyler can be okay in that game, but that's that's not his strength. He has this huge arm um, that he can use to just throw the ball down the field. Uh, it's super accurate on those long downfield passes. But the Cardinals didn't really have the offensive line to do that. They didn't really have the the wide receiver talent uh, to do that. When you look at, you know, Larry Fitzgerald was the leading uh, snap getter at wide receiver. And he's not someone who's running 20 yards down the field anymore at a consistent rate. You had Christian Kirk, uh, who was in and out, out of the lineup. He played about 75% of the snaps. Um, he was hit or miss there. Um, you had Andy Isabella, who got uh, into 
the lineup a little bit late. Uh, and he's a, a speed guy that can possibly be there. But, you know, now you add DeAndre Hopkins, you have that legitimate number one threat. And the Cardinals can now build that passing game to be more involved uh, further down the field. Even if it's in the intermediate range where Hopkins is, is really good, he's obviously not going to be the deep threat. But it, it allows the Cardinals to continue pushing the ball down the field. Not so much has to be, you know, at or behind the line of scrimmage, especially on first downs. Over 41% of Kyler Murray's passing attempts on first downs last year were at or behind the line of scrimmage. That's, that's huge. That was the highest rate in the league. So I think if you're looking for the production for Murray uh, in year two, it's the ability to push the ball down the field. And uh, I think the Cardinals are, are kind of set up to be there, but that, that's going to be the key in making those adjustments. And we already saw Cliff Kingsbury make some of those adjustments during the season, but that was with the talent that they had. I think they added talent. I think they have a better idea of what they're going to do. So I think you're going to see Kyler unleash a little more in year two. And if you're looking for that leap, that's exactly what you want to see. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think um, I'm excited to see, Though they don't have another preseason this year, we definitely are not going to be dealing with the situation they had last preseason where they're trying to hide everything and then they come out week one and week two and try to all these wide receivers, which is exactly what they wanted to be doing, but they had to hide that during last year's preseason. I think with with Kyler, they probably are going to be able to start off the season a lot faster than they did in 2019 just because Kyler's used to this offensive scheme um, and now he's got the better pieces. But Rich, why don't you talk to us a little bit about something that you are looking forward to seeing from Kyler this season and, uh, and maybe what a key that you're hoping Cliff and or Kyler will do that's going to really help them reach their ceiling. Kyler uh, is, has the unfortunate, uh, you know, kind of on his shoulders here on his plate that the what second year Patrick Mahomes or what second year Lamar Jackson did. It's kind of unfair to say that he has to live up to those guys. But that's kind of what everyone's expecting, especially from, you know, my neck of the woods where, you know, people still had questions about Patrick Mahomes when he was a starting quarterback, you know, his first year uh, in his second season. And then Lamar Jackson last year, those guys were going as high QB twos in fantasy. And then they had record breaking seasons. That's not the case right now with Kyler Murray. It is expected for him to take that jump. You know, he's a guy that's being drafted as the QB three, the QB four. Sometimes him and Dak Prescott oscillate depending uh, their flavor. So he's got to live up to that kind of potential. And it's, it's a lot to put on a player's shoulders. So you talk about two record breaking seasons in a row. He has to match uh, like Dan, me and Dan have talked about Kyler a lot. Uh, I, you know, I always refer to it as the horizontal rate. You know, people call it the air rate because a lot of people are misconstrued. It's not really an offense that's set up to take a lot of deep shots. They run a lot of mesh, a lot of crossers. And it's really what, how Deandre Hopkins was used last year. Also, with the Houston Texans. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting, you know, when you look at, you know, Hopkins' Z dot last year where it fell, if they don't try to maybe move like Christian Kirk as the vertical guy, maybe he's better suited to be the vertical component in the offense. I don't know. And we, and we don't know if they're ever going to incorporate Andy Isabella, uh, the ghost of Hakeem Butler who missed his rookie season, if he gets involved this year. Um, but I would definitely like to see them move the ball down more, move the ball more downfield because, Tyler can wing it, man. He's got that baseball arm. You see it all the time. It's effortless. He's not like, remember, like, he's like Doug Flutie was small and like 
I think Warren, it might have been you that like tweeted a picture, a uh, video of like Doug Flutie throwing a jump pass where he looks, he's like he's to throw his whole body into everything. Kyler doesn't have that. Like he he can wing it. And you saw Hopkins, his first comment was like, man, Kyler's got an arm. Because remember, one of the knocks on Deshaun Watson coming out was he was the low velocity passer. Like, could he overcome the the low ball velocity? And it, he he proved that wrong. But Kyler Kyler can 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 really sling it. And we saw, you know, I think that that pass he threw to Demir Bird against the Falcons definitely sticks out just in my mind, uh, that long money shot he took. But uh, I would like to see them really open it up uh, because that's going to unlock his ceiling. But I do feel bad for the expectations that are placed on Kyler based on the two seasons that we just had from your two, like, sensations in – uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, because I feel like that's more of a rarity than something we can just count on a year or two quarterback doing every year. Yeah, I, that, that level of jump, I mean, certainly when we look at the averages of what year two quarterbacks tend to do, you're going to have a couple guys that are just ridiculous, and then you're going to have some guys that play closer to, to average and some guys that come right below it. So for every, you know, Mahomes out there, there's going to be some true duds uh, in year two. But I definitely think, you know, one of the key points that you made, Dan was writing about this, and, and that's in the article, he did a nice clip from Sharp Football Stats, which shows Kyler's completion percentage by target depth and just how great Kyler Murray was when he's throwing the ball 20 plus yards down the field in terms of his accuracy. And now that he actually has receivers that are capable of running those routes and winning those catches, you know, not just being in the right spot, but actually being able to go up and grab those balls. I think that's going to be big for the upside and for what Cliff is able to call as a play caller. And, uh, and you're right. Like the arm strength that he has is definitely something that I don't think a lot of people, he plays in a small market. He plays in Arizona, plays a lot of four o'clock games that aren't shown on national TV plays games. Um, that, that, you know, are going up against, you know, like the, the Cowboys 49ers game at four o'clock or the Patriots versus Chiefs game at four o'clock. And, and Kyler Murray's, some of his games are, are getting swept under a little bit. So uh, definitely some, some positives there. Anything else on Kyler, Dan, that you wanted to fit in here before we start talking about the second quarterback drafted last year? I think one of the other interesting things is uh, his the value with his legs. I think that's you know one of the things we you know, loved about Lamar Jackson is one of the things we love about Kyler Murray. And I think the real interesting split is how the value he got last year. Um, he had almost you know an EPA of twelve on his designed quarterback runs. Uh, there were about fifty of those. Those included read option keepers. But uh, when he was just scrambling or, or had a broken play, he had negative EPA. Uh, that's usually not something we see with quarterbacks. But I think just uh, with the uh, the offensive line, how he was, you know, kind of running backwards to pass uh, a little more when he was scrambling um, rather than you know trying to gain yards. I think he was still trying to make a play through the air, and that, that added to some negative plays on the ground. And I think if Kyler is able to clear some of those up, and that adds to more value of running the ball, which he can clearly do. So I think that's another element of this offense that can see in an improvement um, in in 2020, where um, it, that wasn't being used to uh, its full potential uh, last year because those, those scrambles just uh, weren't working as much as they were positively for for some other running quarterbacks. Yeah, one of the things I'll just say, one of the things that frustrated me a little bit about Kyler last year was just his propensity to just take some sacks that I thought he could have done a little bit of better job of just getting rid of the ball and, and dumping it. Um, but he was taking sacks, and I think that's something he'd 
that's very coachable for a guy as athletically talented as he is. That's something that is extremely coachable uh, and, and just preparing him with the knowledge that when you take a sack, it's very unlikely that we're scoring points on this drive. So just pitch the ball. Let's play another down if you need to, if you can't get out of there and, and just kind of like when to run and how to run, like what lanes to look for that type of thing. Uh, I think that that's going to come and hopefully show some improvement this season transitioning across the country over to the New York Giants we saw Daniel Jones and company struggle to win only four out of 16 games last season Um, and he doesn't get the benefit of having DeAndre Hopkins you know come to town Um, and he also doesn't get the benefit of a full off season with a guy as creative as Cliff Kingsbury now he's working with Jason Garrett right so a little bit of a different situation. Now, Jason Garrett has worked with some younger quarterbacks and does what he thinks can make life easy for them. And sometimes that might be relying a little bit too much on the ground game. He should be actually throwing the ball in early downs to make life easier for the quarterback. But be that as it may, I know that you uncovered some interesting things about Daniel Jones and where you think he's going to project for 2020 and, and what's a key to his having a nice jump in year two. You, let's go back and talk about some of those like uh, frustrating Kyler Murray sacks. I think Kyler Murray takes those because sometimes he's so aware of his surroundings to a fault where uh, he doesn't, he knows someone's coming. He doesn't want to take that hit. So maybe he slides and, and avoids the hit altogether. Daniel Jones has the exact opposite problem. He has no awareness of anyone who is coming to hit him. And sometimes that, that turns into amazing plays from the pocket. I think we saw that for, in his first start, uh, week three against Tampa Bay. Uh, he was making some unbelievable throws with a guy in his face. A pressure just doesn't really uh, affect him in a way that he panics. But that's also just because most of the time he's just he doesn't sense it he doesn't have that natural pocket awareness so sometimes it has those great throws on the end because the pressure isn't affecting the throw uh but a lot of the times and you saw he led the league in fumbles last year so many of those were just he didn't feel the pressure coming and he got hit without being able to brace himself and that's usually when the ball gets knocked out so if he's going to take that leap i think just the general awareness and needs to um it just needs to increase. And I'm not sure how much that can be coached or worked on a lot of things like pocket presence. I think you talk to a lot of guys who have either played quarterback or have coached the quarterback position that usually comes naturally. Uh, And the guys who are really good at it are just innately really good at it. Um, But obviously everything can be worked on it to a degree, but I think the Daniel Jones' pocket presence uh, is going to have to be um, bumped up uh, just a little bit. Uh, And you see that like he, there's the stories that he added muscle um, and uh, he's working on having two hands on the ball when he's in the pocket. And like that, that's all great, but he just still doesn't see, you know, the 290 pound defensive end come in. Um, He's not going to be able to hold onto the ball. And I think that's, that's what so many of the issues were uh, last year uh, when he was taking those sacks and he was fumbling. It's kind of like last year when um, the Chicago bears spent the entire off season and, uh, thinking about how they can improve kicker uh, when they really should have been thinking about how their offense was going to score more points so they didn't have to rely on the kicker. That's kind of the, the Daniel Jones is strengthening up to get a better grip on the ball versus having any pocket awareness. Um, and I, I think that it really it translated to when you look at how he performed uh, on a lot of 
uh, his dropbacks. Um, he was really good in the quick game when Daniel Jones got the ball and was able to throw it on one and step zero and one step drops. He had the highest EPA per attempt in the league. Uh, but when you go to three step drops, that completely drops. When you go to five step drops, he was uh, the worst in the league um, uh, by EPA. So I think when you had those deeper drops, that's when he really struggled. When he had time in the pocket, you didn't have guys who were really separating very well uh, for as much as, you know, the, the strengths of Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton. Um, those aren't guys who are really naturally separating. So uh, Daniel Jones had to wait a little bit uh, at that added some time in the pocket. You had a bad offensive line, especially at left tackle. Um, it got pressure there a little quicker than it would have, but again, teamed up with the awareness that just, uh, that was a catastrophic mix of just about everything last year. So those are things that are going to have to be worked at. Those are things that Jason Garrett kind of specializes in. This is probably going to be a more vertical offense. So he's going to be seeing those types of situations more often so he's going to have to work on those if he's going to make that year two leap. Um, he's going to be put in this situation where he's doing that more. Uh, we'll just have to see whether he's going to be good at that or not. And, and that's going to be the key to the Giants 2020 season. That's going to be the key to how Daniel Jones looks as a second year quarterback. Yeah, and definitely one of the things, you know, it'll be interesting to see with Jason Garrett. New York actually did something somewhat intelligent last season and they went 55% pass on early downs in the first half, which was above the NFL average. But I went back and looked at what Jason Garrett did when they had Ezekiel Elliott in 2016. Uh, they went, they were 49% run, which is actually the fifth most run heavy on early downs in the first half of games. Uh, and the next year in 2017, they were the third most run heavy. And uh, by 2018, they were the 11th most run heavy. So Definitely trending on the higher side of runs. I don't know, Rich, how you're going to factor that into what we could expect out of Saquon Barkley this upcoming season. Uh, but certainly we look at this, this slate of defenses that Daniel Jones is going to face the first month of the season. I mean, he's going up against four top 10 pass defenses from 2019 when you talk about the Steelers, the Chicago Bears, the 49ers, the Rams. And then you throw in the fact that they're playing the Dallas Cowboys who just got Everson Griffin, and we already talked about them restocking their defensive line. And every single one of those teams, by the way, was top half of the league in run defense as well. So he's not going to face a very easy schedule the first part of the year. I definitely think based upon a strength of schedule analysis over the second part of the season, even after that first four to five week difficult stretch to start, Daniel Jones should probably look a little bit better after that with some of the defenses he's going to face. But Rich, what are some of the things that you're looking for from Daniel Jones this year? Yeah, I mean, Dan kind of covered it all. I mean, you especially from, you know, a fantasy sense. I think the cart is a little bit ahead of the horse on Daniel Jones. He's kind of everyone's trendy, like, uh, QB fantasy upside pick. But he was, I mean, he was a disaster against pressure last year, especially in teams that pressured him from a fantasy sense. His, I mean, he popped. He had a really high ceiling. He had four 30-point games last year. But they were all in, like, really cushy. You could, He was on the streaming radar that week, maybe not as the QB1, QB2. But we were definitely into him as a streamer that week. And then he – had he failed at 15 points uh, in fantasy in his other eight starts outside of those four outside of those four games, so he was an all or nothing type of player. I still just go back to him as a prospect, and you know he was just so Josh Allenish as a prospect, and really nothing in year one has moved me off of where he struggles, you know, to win as a quarterback. And Josh Allen hasn't done that in two years either, has moved me off of where he struggles. If you pull up their you know expected completion percentage chart uh, at Sharp Football Stats, they are the Spider Man meme. 
Like they are looking at each other dead, dead in the eyes as passers yeah, at each level. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of jump he can take in year two. Josh Allen did take a step forward across the board in year two. He was still below league rates and everywhere, but he did take a step forward. So if Dan Jones can just kind of build on that after being kind of a prospect that struggled in accuracy. Dan talked about it. I mean, these are the things that where Daniel Jones struggles are things that really – are tough are tough to believe are fixable you know handling pressure accuracy turnovers those are all things that tend to to stay with you those are sticky stats from college to the nfl and those kind of stayed sticky for him in year one uh i definitely look at the schedule too it's it's tough to start. You talk about the, you talk just from a pressure stance. Those are four teams that are in the top eight in pressure rate, not just pass defenses. Those are teams that pressured the quarterback and the Rams lost a, a lot of pieces in defense. But the one thing I think that we still think they're going to be able to do is generate some pass rush. Uh, so he might have a little softer matchup versus the Rams, like a passion efficiency stance, but a team like the Eagles, their pass defense might be a lot better. That looks like a soft match on paper They're They look like they're going to generate pressure and they short up their secondary. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I definitely am a little more on the pessimistic side of Daniel Jones. He's definitely not a guy I want to draft, especially out of the gate in the first month, unless I'm in a two QB form and I have deep benches and I can wait for the schedule to open up because I'm not going to want to play him those first, any of those first three, at least three games. I'm not going to want to play him um, versus Pittsburgh on the road in Chicago and then versus the 49ers. Um, He's going to have to really show something then, one of those three games, to make you even want to use him that week four game against the Rams. So I'm kind of waiting on him. I kind of think Joe Burrow is the fantasy option that everyone thinks Daniel Jones is going to be. Um, but I am very curious to see what, what uh, happens with Daniel Jones in year two. Quick question for you guys before we get out of here. I'll go with Dan first. You each have 30 seconds or less. You cannot pick Kyler Murray. Which of the four quarterbacks that Dan wrote up here, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, or Gardner Minshew, which of those four do you see having the best jump in year two based on everything we know right now projecting out? Dan, I'll go to you first. Which guy do you think is going to make the biggest jump, 30 seconds or less? Okay, uh, I'll probably have to say Haskins just because uh, the bar was set so low. I think he still has uh, this, this skill set there. So um, I, I think that's there. But I also came away with, uh, from writing this article way more impressed uh, with Gardner Minshew than I thought I was going to. All right, excellent. Rich? I mean, by default, it has to be Haskins just because he was so bad as a rookie to improve. And, you know, the, he's another guy that was bad in areas that you're concerned about. He was awful on third downs. He was awful in the red zone. And he took way too many sacks. Uh, those are all things that are a problem that we don't know are fixable. I like Minshew, too. I just don't know if he survives, uh, if, if he survives the season. You know, the Jaguars were once a competitive team in the front half of last year. And then they came out and were just a, a disaster the back half of the season. And if that Jaguars team is what starts the year, the team that was had a negative 125-point differential, you know, from weeks nine through 16 uh, and only scored 89 total points across that span. If that's the team that starts the year, I don't know if he even makes it through. Uh, but I am interested in Minshew a little bit, but it's got to be Haskins just because he was, he did nothing. He was, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, out of all of these guys, you know, we already talked about Kyler Murray that you couldn't choose Kyler, but every single other one of these quarterbacks has a new offensive coordinator this season so uh, it is a little unique this year two jump typically it will come from the same coordinator being paired with him but all of these guys keep in mind they got their ocs fired or their head coaches <laughs> fired based on what they did last season so now they have to deal with the fact that they're all going to be working with in this in this covid offseason and the 
inability to be able to get close work in, in May and June with these guys, uh, having to work with new OCs, learning new playbooks, learning, learning new uh, play calls and that type of thing. So should be very interesting. I do want to mention once again, guys, we started releasing NFL futures. If you want that rush of having something to bet on and seeing the line move in your favor, highly suggest you pick up the 2020 futures package up at sharpfootballanalysis.com right now. Four are already out there releasing more later this week into the weekend. And I highly suggest you get on board right now with those. Grab a betting package if you want to get access to those futures for 50% off. You definitely don't want to miss out on that. And of course, grab the all access package or just the fantasy package if you want to get access to Rich and all of his incredible insights as well. For Dan, he's at Dan Pazuda on Twitter. Rich is at Lord Reeves on Twitter. I'm Warren Sharp, sharpfootballanalysis.com. We will catch you on Sharp Angles next week. Be safe.